Well, amen. Good stuff, band, as usual. So thank you for always leading us with good gospel-rich songs. Open your Bibles to Ephesians. Uh, we are wrapping up this book today. Uh, and I, uh, I'm, like, I'm excited that we're wrapping it up. At the same time, I'm a little bit sad because I love this uh, letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Ephesus. Uh, and I'm, I liked what we've done as we walk through it and the things that we've learned together as we walk through it. So it's a little bit bittersweet as we wrap these things up. Uh, so, but today's going to be one of those. I'm going to recap everything that we've done uh, and bring out some highlights from each chapter that just stuck out to me. And I think that I want you to go as kind of stones of remembrance to go, okay, this is what it looks like in chapter one, two, three, four, five, and six. Uh, as you go back and as you encounter Ephesians again in your study, as you read through, as, as you come in times of need and you need to go to the scriptures for some things, uh, that you'll be able to know where to pinpoint these things. The last few verses uh, that we have are found in chapter 6, verse 21. And this is just Paul's closing, and this is what he says. Uh, so get your Bibles out or your phones out or whatever you're using because I'm going to need you to follow along with me today. Nothing's on the screen. That's all you're getting today. Just this, this and me and the Bible and the Lord. What else you need, you know? So uh, uh, just follow along with me today. Here's what it says in chapter 6, verse 21. The final greeting, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. He's like, look, just so you know what's up, check with Tychicus. He's, he's got all the skinny on what's happening. Um, verse 22, I have sent him... Uh, to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Uh, so turn back with me, if you will, uh, to chapter one. And we're, again, just going to walk through this together and some places to remember, some things that really stuck out to me, that ministered to my heart along the way, and I hope will, it did, and will to you as well. Uh, and so, first, so chapter one, as Paul opened this letter to the churches, uh, uh, there, there's a very specific thing he started out with. Look in verse, verse, uh, uh, chapter one, verse three. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So Paul just kind of starts right off the bat and he is saying, hey, we just want to lift praises up to our God and King for choosing us in Christ. And so what you're going to see, part of Ephesians is uh, one of those letters that Paul reminds us that salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation, it is God who chose you. It is God who rescued you. It is God who said he set his affections on you. You didn't set your affections on God before he set his on you, okay? 
You just don't have the ability to do that. We'll get to that. We'll get to Paul's teaching of that over in chapter 2 in just a few minutes. But it's that God set his affections on us. Verse, uh, so we talked about you can see that in him we have all these blessings. And then he keeps on going in uh, Ephesians. Look in verse 7. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So he says, in Jesus is where our forgiveness comes from. If you're here and you're looking for your forgiveness from anything else, from your good works, your right standing with God, any, uh, through your good works, all that is debunked in Paul's letter, he, uh, in, in the letter he writes to the Ephesians. He says, because it is in Christ, in Christ alone that we just sang about, that is in him that we have redemption through his blood, without the shedding of blood, I say this regularly, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And that shedding of blood is talking about the shedding of Jesus' blood, his precious blood, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He goes on in verse 11. Look with me down in verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ may be put to the praise, may be put might be to the praise of his glory. So again, there in verse 11, he says, all this is in Jesus that we obtain this inheritance, this thing that we're longing for, this, this hope and this promise that we have all comes through our faith in Christ, and it is Jesus who delivers that to us. Amen? Verse 13, he says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And so in Jesus, whenever you heard the gospel, uh, the, the scripture tells us, Paul tells us, uh, that you, your salvation was because of the work of Jesus, that it is in Christ, and because the Spirit revealed that to you is why you are in Christ Jesus. So if you are part of the family of God, if you are a Christian today, if you have repented of your sins and put your faith and work in the finished work of Jesus, it says that we are in Christ, we are in him, and it's because God of the universe called us, predestined to us to this before the world ever began. Now, some people don't like that language. Some people get mad when you hear that language. Some people uh, recoil and go, well, I don't believe in predestination. Well, God bless you for reading the scriptures. You can't get around it. Like it, don't like it, don't, feel, don't like the way it feels, don't like the way it rolls off your tongue. It, it doesn't matter if you like it or not. Uh, the, uh, uh, John MacArthur said this a long time ago, and, and I like the way he said this. It is, uh, it is uh, undeniable that you can't that read your Bible and find these two rails that run through the Scriptures. One is the sovereignty of God in all things, including your salvation, and the responsibility of man. They're, they're parallel rails that run through the Scriptures. If, if you come to Jesus, if you're a Christian, you have come because God sovereignly predestined you to become a Christian and called you and gave you the faith to believe. That, that's what the Scripture teaches us. And the scripture also teaches us that if you do not come to Jesus, that it lays on, that it is on you, your guilt is on you, you're still guilty. You're like, well, how do you understand that, preacher? I don't necessarily understand it all. But that's what the scripture teaches us. And that's how God operates. Amen or oh me? Amen. Amen. Okay, all right, good. Just, just check it with you. All right, that's chapter one. We're saying all this is found in him. All of salvation, all of our blessings, all of what we receive from him is found in Jesus. Then we go to chapter two. And this reiterates what I just said. Chapter two, verse one, read along there with me. And you were what? 
So are y'all, are, are y'all reading along with me? Do you have your Bibles? Up? Let's start, let's start this over again. Here, now, is this thing on? Here we go. Let's start there. Are you reading along with me? Okay. You know we respond back to the preacher in this church. This is it's one of those talk back to the preacher churches. Okay, let's start again. Chapter 2, that's where we are. Verse 1. And I'm going to ask you for the fourth word in that sentence. And you were what? Dead. Dead. There you go. Okay, thank you. Thank you for participating. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature what? Children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Okay, that, that's the point that I'm telling you is that we don't have the ability to respond. We don't, we, because what? What are we? You've already said it once. We're dead in our sins. What can dead men do? Just keep being dead. That's all you can do. Dead men can only keep being dead unless God chooses to do something. And that's what the scripture taught us. That's what Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And that's what he's telling us in chapter two. So you just read those first verses and it's imperative for us to understand the nature of God and how he works in salvation to understand this and what he wrote to the church at Ephesus. That we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And then verse four, if you haven't circled those first two words in uh, verse four, you should circle them, highlight them. What do you do? Well, I don't write in my Bible, preacher. Well, write in it for this because this is that important. Circle those two words. What are they? But God, yes, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were what? Dead in our trespasses, what? Made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You have, if you are a Christian here today, it is by grace that you have been saved. What is, what is grace? Grace. The blessed, no, it's not the blessing. Grace is unmerited favor. Means there's no merit that gets you favor from God. You didn't do anything to cause God to do something for you, okay? You didn't, you didn't pull yourself up by your bootstraps high enough. You didn't clean yourself up clean enough. You didn't straighten yourself up straight enough for God to notice you and go, okay, well, he's kind of straightened his act up. I think I'm going to save that cat. That is not the way salvation works. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. That God showed his affections toward you and made you alive, as we just read in the scriptures. God made you alive in Christ Jesus and gave you the faith to respond and believe. That's what the text says. Again, you don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with it. But that's what the text teaches us. Okay? It is by grace you have been saved through faith. Verse 8 is one of those verses. Um, uh, go to verse 8. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. What? It is the what? Gift of God. Salvation is a gift of God. It is not your own doing. You did not decide to follow Jesus. Anybody sing that song when you were in church? What, what was it? I have decided to follow Jesus. It may seem like that, but you didn't decide anything on your own without being awakened to the gospel without being given the faith to actually believe. All these young people that were saved in these last few weeks, you know what God did? God awakened them to the gospel. They didn't do anything. They didn't clean themselves up good enough. God awakened them to the gospel and gave them faith to believe. 
What miraculous things that we see when God does that. We're going to see it again today. Three people are going to be baptized today. They didn't just decide on their own to follow Jesus. God awakened them to the gospel and gave them faith to believe, and they responded in faith to the gospel. He goes on and say, this is not a result of works so that no one may boast. So you can't work your way into it. So you can go, well, look at me. I cleaned myself up. I did this. So we have nothing to boast in our salvation. Nothing other than the goodness of God that he gave, that he showered on us. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you go, well, is good works part of our salvation? Good works doesn't save you. There's no merit to our salvation, but good works flow from our salvation. Once you become a follower of Jesus, once, the, once uh, God has made you alive in Christ Jesus, has changed your heart, given you a new heart, that the Spirit of God comes and lives within you and dwells within you, they said he has created us for good works. And so we do things, we serve people, we give our lives away for the sake of others so that they'll know Jesus. We serve people so that they'll know Jesus. We give our lives to people so that they'll know Jesus. We're created for good works that Scripture says God prepared beforehand, way back in the day, way, way, way back, that we might walk in them. That we might walk in them. So you're called to be an engaged Christian. Listen, if you're a Christian who is not engaged in this life of following Jesus, you're missing part of this as well. This is not golden ticket theology that we talk about here where I got saved one time when I was younger or whatever and I've done nothing with it since then. I'm going to give God my golden ticket whenever I uh, see him one day and go, well, you know, I did that one time and, and I'm good. Well, the scripture says, Paul's very clear here that there's things that we walk into if we're followers of Jesus. James is very clear about that in his book as well that says, you know, there are things that we're called to do once we become followers of Jesus. Not for merit, but from salvation. Tracking with me, church? Yep. Can I get a harump out of the ground? All right, good. Thank you. Chapter 3. The mystery of the gospel, verse 6. Look what it says in chapter 3, verse 6. This is what it says. This is the mystery. Uh, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so uh, Paul had been talking about in uh, chapter 3, or the end of chapter 2, that we are one in Christ Jesus. That we, we as followers of Jesus, we become one with our Jewish uh, brothers and sisters, just like we're Gentiles. Most of us in here are Gentiles, which means we're not Jews uh, uh, and, and then what he was teaching the, F, the Ephesians there is that we're all one, that nobody has a higher ranking or nobody has a, a better seat at the table than anybody else does, but that we're all one in Christ Jesus. And verse six says, he said, it's a mystery that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. So if you think about it, think about reading back through the Old Testament, it was that God called the Jewish people. He called the, the people to himself. They became the nation of Israel and he called them to follow him. And we know that when Jesus Jesus came on the scene, the majority of them rejected him because they didn't believe he was the long-awaited Messiah. And so Jesus said that we're going to be calling in the Gentiles as well. And so the strange thing that they had to kind of learn uh, in that time was the, the Jewish people who followed Jesus and the Gentile people who followed Jesus, who did not get along at all during the time, were now brothers and sisters and co-heirs with Jesus. And that's what Paul's talking about here in chapter 3. He says, this is the mystery. 
that Gentiles, and all the Gentiles said, woohoo, uh, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, that we get all the promises of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Then skip with me ahead to verse 17. He says this, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And he said, look, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to know him fully. I want you to be filled with the Spirit I want you to know him inside and out. I want you to know who he was. I want you to know what he did. I want you to know how he's at work today. I want you to be filled with all the fullness of Jesus Christ. And so for us as Christians today in 2022, what that means is we still continue to study. We still continue to learn. We still continue to worship. We still continue to gather because there's always something for us to learn together. It's imperative for us to continue to be learners as we continue to follow Jesus throughout our lifetimes. The gospel is so huge, I wrote down the hugeness of the gospel, is that it will take a lifetime to even begin to scratch the surface before we can actually know about who God is. Then we get to chapter 4. In chapter 4, he begins to talk about unity in the body. Unity in the body and how the body... Uh, is called to be one together. Look with me in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Let's just stop right there. Let me read that again. And just kind of take that to heart for yourself. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. Paul says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I belong to him. Urge you, urge you, church, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You've been called to be part of the family of God. You've been called to be a servant of the king. You've been adopted into the family of God. You belong to him now. And he says, so I'm urging you to walk worthy of that very calling. That the God of the universe who spoke the world into existence has set his affections on you. And he said, so walk that way. Walk like you belong to Jesus. Verse 2 uh, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. He says, we, we are one together in the bond of love. We are one in the bond of love. We are one in the bond of love. You know that one? Yeah, we know that. So he, we are one together in Christ Jesus. And he calls us to walk that way uh, because it says, it sends a message to the world around us that something is different about us. Something is different about the way we live. Something is different about the way this church comes together. Something is different about the way we encourage one another. Something's different about the way we live our lives intertwined with one another. That's not a normative thing in our culture today. Our normative thing in our culture today is live in a house that puts a fence around it. We lock the doors, pull the drapes, and I do my own world inside. That's the culture we live in. 
But the Christian culture says that we are one and what belongs to me belongs to you and what belongs to you belongs to me and we live together. We live together as one family encouraging one another in the brotherhood and encouraging others to follow Jesus along with it, inviting others in to what it means to follow Jesus. He encourages the church to do that. Look down in verse 14. He says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each party is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. He says, so everybody's got a place in this family. Everybody's got a place, and this family becomes better when every part of the family starts using their gifts, starts, starts working together uh, with one, alongside one another, and so that the body will be better, the body will be edified, and the gospel will continue to be uh, proclaimed even further than if it was just one guy. I promise you, if, if I'm the only one proclaiming the gospel and I'm doing it on Sundays you know, for 40 minutes or whatever, that's not sufficient. That's not what God calls us to. He says, no, we all belong to this. And when we're all working together and we're all using our gifts, then we reach multitudes more people with the gospel rather than just it being dependent on one cat standing up here preaching. You see that? That you play an integral part in the gospel being spread to the people that you love and the people around us that don't even know Jesus yet. One of the coolest things that uh, I loved about uh, these young people being baptized, I think it was our first baptism uh, that they did, and they watched it on video, is that the first four kids were all baseball players that Drew played baseball with. It was, and, and it was long years ago that we met these families, and we interacted with these families, and we saw these families at, uh, at baseball games, and it was hot, and, you know, we would sit and watch our kids play and get their brains beat in from time to time, and, you know, and then win some games from time to time, and, and, but we, we got to, to know these people, and we invited them into our lives, and invited them in, you just invited them into your lives, and they began to come, and they heard, and the gospel was preached and sang and lived out in front of them, and somewhere along Along the way, God used all those things and then awakened them to the gospel. How cool is that? We didn't do anything special. We just lived a life following Jesus and encouraged them all along the way. You get a chance to do that very same thing. And it works better and it's more effective because that's the way God set it up when we all do it together. He goes on to say this in uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 17. Now this I say and testify to the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So he's saying this to Christians. He said, all right, now that you're a Christian, we don't live the way we did before. We don't live the same way. You don't walk, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And his phraseology is, uh, when he says the Gentiles, he's referring to those who are outside the household of faith. No longer walk like they do. Even the Gentiles that were Christians, he's referring to a separate group, people that don't know Jesus yet. We no longer walk like they do. Look what he says. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. 
Some of you have hard hearts in here. Some of you are ignorant to the gospel because of your hard heart. You resisted it. You've pushed away from it. You, you hadn't, didn't want to have anything to do with the church or God or anything at all like that. And your heart has become hardened to the things of God. God is, and God all this time just wants to call you to himself. And he's probably brought you here today to hear that very message. Say it is God who calls us. It is God who calls us to be his own. And right here, he's addressing your hard heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, uh, to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ. He reminded the church again. That's not the way you came to know Jesus. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And so he said, look, we're not called to live like we did before. If you're a Christian here today, you're not called to live like you've always lived. You're called to live something different, to put off that old self and put on the new self. The old self lives in that hardened heart state, state, lives in that old self of rejecting the things of God or don't even care about the things of God. That's the old or the dead self that is dead in our sins. And so if that's you, he's calling you out of that and saying, hey, that's, that's, you might have been that way before, but you're called to something different now. Christian, you're called to live differently. And he gets us to chapter 5. And he reminds us again that we're called to put to death, Christians, those things in us that, bring e that, were, that are evil. Look what he says in chapter 5, uh, verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God and beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So he says, look, let me just cut to the chase. He said, walk in love like Jesus did and gave himself up for us, which means he sacrificed his own good for your good. He says, walk that same way. And then he describes it a little bit this. He says, Put, uh, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. So he says, look, Christian, you may have been involved in sexual immorality before or some sexual sins before or impurity or covetousness. That may have been who you were before, but as Christians, we're called to put all that stuff to death. He says, so I'm telling you at churches in Ephesus, put that to death. And by the same thing, he's telling us at Refuge. If that's still part of who you are as a Christian, he's like, you gotta put that to death. That's gotta die within you. And he goes on in verse 4 and says, Let there be no filthiness or foolish or crude joking which are out of place, but instead there, let there be thanksgiving. And, and that just talks about our speech, that our speech should be seasoned with grace and kindness and mercy rather than crude talk that so easy flows off our lips today. Verse 5, he says, For you may be sure of this. Pretty straightforward. You may be sure of this. That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who it's covetousness, that is an idolater who wants what everybody else has, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let me read that again just for emphasis. 
For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Look, I know we live in a culture where sex is one of those things that it's just like, hey, it just, it's just sex. And people dismiss it left and right. And hey, people should live together before they get married because they need to, you know, try, try everything out. Make sure it works okay. But Paul's very clear. He's like, if that's the life you're living, he said, then you become part of the sexually immoral. You become part of the sexually uh, impure. If you're living in that state right now, this is describing what you're doing. That's not me trying to heap condemnation on you. That's me waving the warning flag to you, going the scripture addresses the life that you're choosing to live right now. And he says very explicitly, you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. It can't be said any clearer than that. So this is your warning to say, hey, the Bible speaks directly to you in this situation. And my encouragement to you would say, you don't have to live there anymore. One, you, you, can, you can change that today and go, hey, you know what? This is what I want to put away. I want to put this out of my life. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be part of the household of faith. I want to put that away. Or you may even say, I am part of the household of faith and I recognize the error of my ways and I want to repent of this life I've been living and put that behind me. But help me, preacher. Help me get past this. Man, this church will help you. If you haven't learned anything about being here, if you're new here, this church is not a place that's going to like beat you over the head with this. We're going to preach the scriptures, but then we're going to say, if this is you, let us help you. Let us help you get past this. Let us help you put this sin to death in you. Just like Paul was urging, he was encouraging the church to not live like this anymore, we're going to encourage you the same way. We're going to try to help you live that life that you're called to. Please don't be embarrassed if you're caught up in that sin and you need help. Ask us for help. I promise you we'll help you. And he goes on to say... Um, in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Uh, for at one time, at one time, you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. If you're a Christian, he says, you're called to walk in the light. Look down at verse 11. He says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. He said, man, if this is happening in your home, this is happening with your set of friends, this is happening in your marriage, he says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. And what that means is that we are holding hands with the devil, we are going the same way he is, we are being influenced by our enemy, and we are doing things contrary to what God, we're living a life contrary to what God calls us to live. And he says, take no part in that. Instead, expose those things. One, maybe it's exposing them from yourself, or secondly, maybe it's exposing them from somebody else. Hey, my wife is, is walking in darkness, and we need to help my wife. My husband is living in darkness, and we need, to, we need your help, men, to help him not walk in darkness anymore. That's what I'm talking about. Don't keep walking in darkness. Paul says that very same thing. Then verse 15, he says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Just be wise 
and how you're doing this. He closes uh, chapter 5 when he talks about wives and husbands, and he boils it down to this. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, which is a sacrificial love. A sacrificial love. That's exactly what Paul was teaching here. He says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What did Christ do for the church? Died on the cross for the church. Laid his life down. Nobody took it from him. He said, nobody takes my life away. I willingly lay it down. So he laid his life down. He said, husbands, we're called to do the same things for our wives. And then he says, wives, be sure that you respect your husbands. There's a book called Love and Respect. One of my favorite books when it comes to marriage. If you're a couple here and you're, you're at each other all the time or you're just having difficulty in your marriage, one, ask for help. Get some help. Read that book. That's a great book. Then chapter 6. Uh, he talked about children obeying, children obeying your parents and the Lord for this is right. All the parents said, amen. amen. Say it a little more enthusiastically. Amen. There we go. Uh, he talked about uh, bond service, uh, slaves, some people who work for people. We talked about that and, and working for our bosses that we work as into the Lord, uh, that you should be the best employee that people have. To, people know you're a Christian. People should go, man, that's one of my best employees. I hear they're a Christian. They're some of my best employees. Work as unto the Lord. And then lastly, in chapter 6, we talked about putting on the whole armor of God. And that's, what we, that's where we spent the last few uh, pieces of our weeks uh, is preaching and teaching through uh, the whole armor of God. And so just wrapping this up, here's what I'll say. Uh, your hope and your salvation. Listen, if you're, if you're in Christ Jesus, your hope and your salvation is all about Jesus' work rescuing you. Jesus rescuing you from sin and death. The scripture says that you were dead in your sins, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love in which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved through faith. It is the gospel that God uses to call sinners. Why do we preach the gospel every week? Because it's a gospel message that God uses to call people from death to life. It's why we sing gospel-rich songs. It's why we preach the gospel every week because that's the message we have is to call sinners to repentance and to call dead people to life. Pray that the Spirit will awaken people to the gospel. He tells us that we are one in Christ Jesus. There should be unity within the church, within the body of Christ. Not even just the church, but anyone who is a follower of Jesus. We should be unified with them because we are part of the same family of God. He says that each of us have a role to play in the church. You have a role. If you don't have, if you had figured out what your role is here at Refuge Church, you need to figure that out. Our church will be better because you're using the gifts that God has given you in this church family, and we'll be a better church family so the gospel, again, can be spread so more people can do the jobs they're called to do. It's a glorious thing now for me to be, to get to cheat, stand up here and, and, and preach week after week, because so many other people do so many other things. And it frees me to do what I'm called. And me doing this frees other people to do what they're called to do. And it will free you to do the way that, uh, to, to serve in the church and to serve the people of God uh, with the giftings that you have. Um, he says to put to death, put to death evil in you. Expose evil if it's within the brotherhood to let your marriage be a picture of the gospel, that our whole family tells the story of the gospel, and to prepare for battle. 
That there's a battle that we face every day as Christians. We are, we are in a spiritual battle every day, whether we can see it or whether we can't, that we need to be prepared and to go into battle with our spiritual armor that we're called to put on. And God is the one who gives us this armor for the battle. Most of it is defensive to, to defend ourselves against the, uh, the, the uh, swords and the fiery darts of the devil. He gives us armor to protect ourselves. But then our, our offensive weapon is the word of God. To use it, to know the scriptures and to be able to use the scriptures in, as an offensive weapon uh, in this battle along the way. Now, with this, I'm going to close. Some of you have this all backwards. You're trying to fight a battle with no armor. You're trying to put to death some things with no weapons. And you're trying to live a Christian life with no Christ. And all that is is just moralistic living. And moralistic living, just living, trying to live a moral lifestyle without any in influence or even trusting in Jesus, honestly, is deadly. It's deadly to you because you can go through life and just be a good person. And you'll get to the end of your life. Face the king of the universe. And without Christ, he'll say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, you worker of sin. I don't even know who you are. God knows us because of Jesus. God knows us whenever we put our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus. Life, salvation comes through faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus. His trusting in his sinless life, his vicarious death, which means that it, was, it did something in our place and that he rose from the dead three days later. We put our faith and trust in that work. The scripture says we'll be saved. We repent of our sins and believe those very things. The scripture says we will be saved. And that's our encouragement to you, that you repent. You be saved. You come to Jesus today. I'll close with this last word from Ephesians. It's Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse 24. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. Praise be to God for his gospel message. Let me pray for us.